Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The award-winning seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia, official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sports Day WA. You're with Peter Vlahos. Uh, great to have your company. Um, what's been a fairly busy day, actually. A busy day in relation to the WAFL. Uh, the AFL has finished as far as West Coast and Fremantle are concerned. But today, down at uh, East Fremantle, as we bring you for the good oil for Cobram Estate, premium Australian extra virgin olive oil, the main story to come out of local football today is that the East Fremantle Football Club announced the resignation of Chief Executive Officer Todd Shimon, following almost nine years at the helm of WA's most successful waffle football club, uh, and on behalf of the board members, staff, players and supporters, the East Fremantle Football Club president thanked Mr Shimon for his contribution to the club over the years that he's been there. And it comes on the back end, as we know, of the total player payments audit for last year that uh, East Fremantle undergoing with at the moment. So I'm going to speak to the captain of the East Fremantle Football Club, Matthew Jupp, a bit later on on the show to see how it's impacting on that group of players, him as the leader, as they prepare now to take on Peel Thunder in the second semi-final at Fremantle Oval on Saturday. So Matthew Jupp is going to join us a bit later on. And also, interesting news regarding the West Coast Eagles WAFL side because today, and I think it's caused a bit of angst, amongst a lot of the WAFL established clubs that the West Australian Football Commission has made a series of amendments to the West Coast Eagles waffle player recruitment and payment system set to take effect from 2024. And from all reports, it goes against the grain of the existing waffle clubs. The CEOs and presidents of those clubs will ask for their feedback they thought after already getting concessions this year, uh, they weren't in a position, they felt, as the established clubs, to grant extra concessions to the West Coast Eagles. And the reason the West Coast Eagles were so poor this year was because of the injury crisis that uh, happened at the AFL level. And, of course, it filtered through to the waffle side as well. And as was pointed out by one CEO to me today when I was inquiring to get some feedback about uh, what they thought about the West Coast Eagles waffle side getting all these extra benefits for next year, he says, Peter, look at the pre-season. They were pretty good. They had three pre-season games, and I think they won all of those. And it was only because of what happened uh, with the AFL side that all of a sudden they became non-competitive in the WAFL. We'll go through that with Michael Roberts. He's the CEO of the West Australian Football Commission. 
But there's an increase in total player payments for the WAFL Eagles side. The player point system, there's been an increase for them in relation to the other clubs as well. And the removal of a three-year barrier that was previously applicable to West Coast Eagles, WAD-listed AFL players, that'll be removed. And how that impact also a lot of the Waffle clubs. So that's coming up a bit later on. So there's some been some significant movements in the local competition. Some of the leading stories today for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. Also, in a moment, I'll be speaking to Ben Horn. He's the leading cricket writer for News Corp. I read an interesting article on the back page of the Australian newspaper today. It's basically, I touched it on yesterday when I was speaking to Lance Morris, the Australian, West Australian quick, uh, the wild thing, about, and he didn't know about it, actually, when I threw it to him, the fact that uh, cricket could be part of the Olympic Games in Los Angeles in 2028. And also today, as we know, the Australian uh, World Cup squad was announced and there's five West Australians in it. Ashton Agar, Josh Inglis, Cameron Green, Mitchell Marsh and Marcus Stoinis. And in fact, I think we've got uh, Ben online now and he's going to join us to discuss cricket. As I said, also later on, we'll discuss football. Matthew Jupp the captain of the East Romano Football Club and also Michael Roberts, the CEO of the West Australian Football Commission, is going to join us. And as well as that, we'll hear from Ross Lyon as St Kilda prepare to play an elimination final. And Luke Hodge, as we know, one of the great players in recent uh, years, captain of Hawthorne, then went up to Brisbane, gives us his take on the Brisbane Lions' chances for this finals campaign. So as you can see, plenty coming up. And if you'd like to join us on the Tempera Bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736, or you can give us a call 13 12 55. We're here for the Kia EV6 GT, World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Ben Horn, thanks for joining us here on Sports Day WA. Great to be with you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate your time. I, I touched on the cricket becoming an Olympic sport on the program last night. And I thought we could maybe do a bit more on it today after, of course, you penned an article in The Australian this morning, which I uh, certainly enjoyed reading. There's never been cricket at the Olympics since 1900 in Paris, but it looks like returning possibly in Los Angeles. Of course, a T20 format. Your thoughts? Yeah, Peter, we'll find out. Uh, on Friday, potentially, uh, officially, there's a meeting going on between the IOC delegates, but all signs are pointing towards cricket being admitted for uh, LA in 2028. And look, it's a huge thing for cricket. Um, it gives them that Olympic exposure, particularly in Olympic game, games played in the United States, I think is um, particularly significant for cricket because it's a huge market that um, that cricket is trying to, to crack. And I think the Olympics will be its best vehicle to really make a bit of an impression in the US. Um, and the other significant thing, of course, is that Brisbane follows the next cycle, 2032. And, you know, you would think uh, cricket would all be locked, all but be locked in for that as well. So that's a big thing because I think cricket in an Olympics in Australia would really get momentum and, uh, you know, be a huge asset for the Games. For the Olympics, it's a big thing too because it unlocks that, huge subcontinental TV audience uh, and population that perhaps the Olympics hasn't quite conquered. Um, 
Uh, India, for example, has only won two individual gold medals in the history of the Olympics. And there's a feeling, I think, amongst the IOC that, you know, the, the billions of people that live in that part of the world perhaps haven't been as engaged in the Olympics as they might be. And uh, and cricket, you know, what, what better way to do it than with cricket? Yeah, very much so. I was also interested in the article because we had the experience because Marcus Stoinis, Jason Berendorf, Steve Smith, uh, Mitch Marsh and others went to the United States to take part in the inaugural T20 competition over there. It appears, and what you're just saying, that we're sort of taking for granted the interest of cricket in the big America. Well, that's certainly been the case, Peter, for um, you know a couple of decades now. But there is a big push now to finally get uh, cricket a bit of a footprint in America. I mean, it's obviously a very long-term goal. And, you know, it's never going to overtake baseball or um, basketball or American football. But you look at um, what football, and when I say football, I mean soccer has done in the United States since it had its World Cup in America in 1994. Um, You know, it's got a very respectable presence uh, in America. um, And, you know, it might not be the biggest sport, but it is a major sport. And uh, there's, you know, tens of millions of um, expats from subcontinental countries that reside in the USA, um, as well as obviously, you know, Australians and and British um, people as well. But there's really an opportunity there because there's there's data that shows how popular cricket is with people that live in the United States. You know, the the television audiences for World Cups, Cricket World Cups, the, um, the third most amount of viewers are coming from the United States. So... There's a huge opportunity there, and the Olympics is a great way to kickstart that movement. Interesting. Uh, the other news that I'd like to talk to you about is Australia's uh, provisional World Cup squad was announced today. Five West Australians in the squad of 15. And all of a sudden, we've got a plethora of all-rounders at uh, our disposal, mm-hmm. haven't we? Well, particularly when there's another West Australian all-rounder, Aaron Hardy, that couldn't quite make the squad. So... It's incredible, really. Firstly, how many um, decent all-rounders Australia's got to choose from and the fact that they all seem to be from Western Australia. So, Mm -hmm. um, look, there was no surprises in the squad today. Um, You know, they did add a couple of extra players a couple of weeks ago as as additional possibilities, which included Aaron Hardy, Tanvir Sanger from New South Wales, and um, Marnus Lubbershane was also there as well. But, look, in terms of the final 15, it's probably as everyone would have expected. Um, very strong side, covering all bases. The difficult, difficult thing will be picking an 11 because, um, you know, it's, um, the conditions over in India, um, plus, you know, a lot of those players really do deserve their place in the side. So it's going to be a big job for the selectors over there uh, to get the right balance and also to pick the right uh, attack for the conditions, you know, as each match goes by. It's interesting because Marcus Stoinis and Mitchell Marsh have been the stalwarts in Australia's white ball side for a number of years. Now we've got Cameron Green. And as you mentioned, one out, one back is Aaron Hardy trying to stamp his uh, presence now in uh, the white ball game. How many all-rounders is too many? And how many do you think you can play in a limited overs game? It's a good question. It's a good question. Look, I mean, there has been a school of thought from Australia that perhaps they might follow the model that England has taken and play as many all-rounders as possible, uh, which means you can sort of bat right down to number nine, number 10. Um, but, you know, you really need the right players to do that. And, uh, you know, you look at the Australian side and, you know, it's still hard to go past 
um, the quality of, of the, uh, of the you know, specialist fast bowlers in Stark and Hazelwood and Cummins. So um, to play the all-rounders, you know, probably one of them would have to drop out of the side. I, when I look at the squad, my cut feeling is it might be difficult to fit both Cameron Green and Marcus Stoinis into the same lineup. Um, it's, it's not to say it's impossible, but when I'm just looking at the other spaces that would need to be filled, um, you know, it might be difficult to get both of them in. I think Marcus Stoinis would have the edge at the moment, um, and you know he's played well so far over in South Africa. Um, Cameron Green, I think. He's he's shown in white ball cricket that maybe he's best suited further up the order, at the top of the order, and unfortunately for him, that's where Australia's really well suited. With um, you know, they've got a decision to make about um, the openers as it is, but you know, David Warner, um, Travis Head, Mitchell Marshall at the top of the order there. So, look, if I was trying to look into the crystal ball, I think maybe you know Cameron Green might um, have the toughest job at the moment, forcing his way into the eleven. Talking to Ben Horn from News Corp and, of course, wrote a very interesting article uh, in The Australian today. Ben, just a couple of final ones before we let you go because I know you're a busy man. Firstly, three T20s, Mitch Marsh, the skipper, comprehensive victories in all three of those T20 mm-hmm. matches there in the Republic. And uh, the raps for Mitch Marsh as a leader just keeps on coming. I was reading today that Sean Abbott has come out and saying what a good leader he was in that series. Yeah, it was a great start for Mitchell. And, um, you know, look, it's as long as he stays fit, uh, I, I really don't see any other option for captaining Australia at the World Cup next year, T20 World Cup, that is, than Mitchell Marsh. Um, so it's been a great start for him and a great sign that, you know, he really produced with the bat in two of those three games, you know, that, um, you know, basically he continued on from where he left off without the captaincy and, you know, that having the burden of, uh, of oh, sorry, having the responsibility of leadership was a burden for him. So, um, yeah, great start for him. Good signs for Australia because that wasn't necessarily their first choice team. Uh, there's quite a number of guys uh, who weren't over there that you would expect would be in a World Cup squad for Australia. So, yeah, really strong signs about the depth for Australia there in T20 cricket. Um, but the other side of it that is a little worrying is just the the quality of South Africa's team and, and where they're at as a cricketing country at the moment. Their World Cup squad looks better um, but, you know, we are sort of, I think, coming into a period now where that dominance that we've seen from South Africa as a, as a top cricket nation, you know, it's really going to be tested over the next few years. And, and that's a big concern for the international game. And finally, we had the BBL drafts across the weekend. I spoke to the wild thing, uh, Lance Morris, on my program last night. The draft has certainly added something to the BBL. Uh, your thoughts on the BBL, and of course, the WBBL and the quality of player has been picked up in the draft? Yeah, look, Peter, um, yeah, look, I think the draft went well. There's some big names there that have come out. I don't know whether it quite, um, you know, it carries the same weight as an AFL draft, for example. I just don't think that people are as engaged um, with the process. I think one thing that the league really could consider is making it a a competition-wide draft where Australian players are going into the mix as well. I, I know that we want to retain... The, some local presence in the teams and it's important to have, you know, WA players playing for Perth, for example, and, you know, uh, South Australians playing for Adelaide. But I think if there's some way of, of broadening the draft to include Australian players, even if it's just the big international stars and have them spread around a bit, I just think that would uh, probably take the draft to the, to the next level and, 
and increase interest. But um, yeah, some handy uh, international pickups, and um, you know, it was a good season last year at the Big Bash. Really good season. So. Hopefully more of the same coming up. Yeah, I think it's bounced back, no question. Let's hope it's going to be a big summer this summer as well. Ben, thanks for making some time available. Much appreciated. And uh, we look forward to further reads from Ben Horn. Thanks a lot, Peter. All the best. Good on you, Ben. Uh, ben Horn joining us. Uh, spoke very well and writes very well too. Uh, like having an Aussie interview of the week. Uh, thanks to our friends at uh, Look for the Logo. Be sure it's Aussie when you're out there shopping in uh, retail. It's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. And there's a good Aussie cricket writer there, writes for the Australian newspaper and also News Corp talking about Ben Horn. And we're talking about cricket. Before we take a break, uh, just for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand, let's just update the tennis and some interesting developments. Uh, Novak Djokovic has powered into a record 47th Grand Slam semi-final. That is a record now uh, in the world of tennis. He had a victory 6-1, 6-4, 6-4. Straight sets over American ninth seed Taylor Fritz at the US Open. And he continues his push for a record-extending men's 24th Grand Slam title. Uh, And in the last four against another home player, the upcoming Ben Shelton, who was a surprise packet today. He defeated uh, Tiafo at Arthur Ashe Stadium, the 10th seed. He won 6-2-3-6-7-6-6-2. A black American quarterfinal, and we've got a black American now into the semifinals of their home Grand Slam. And many thought it would be Francis Tiafo, but in the end, well done to Ben Shelton, who went to the tournament unseated. He'll take on the 36-year-old Djokovic, who is through to his 13th US Open semifinal. And he stands at 12-0 against Americans at the US Open. So he will start a real hot favourite. Will uh, Novak to progress through to another Grand Slam final. On the women's side of the draw, Yelena Ostapenko took aim at a crazy US Open schedule after being bundled out in the quarters by American teenager Coco Goff. Now, less than 48 hours after sending the world number one Igas Vitek crashing out of the tournament, the Latvian 20th seed found herself heading for the exits after a 6-love, 6-2 drubbing. But Ostapenko was unhappy at the tournament scheduling that left her having to face a noon quarterfinal in searing heat on the other uh, on the Arthur Ashe Stadium court soon after her fourth round win. No doubt the home organisers may be steering a bit more of an advantage towards the American players. There's an update for you on the tennis, thanks to Polaris. Uh, the plate clearance deals are on now. Save $2,000 on the Ranger 1000 EPS. Plus, get $1,000 free accessories. And don't forget, this is big. Uh, Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American footy's biggest game. Now, it's worth over $70,000, Jimmy. That's, almost, that's just half your pay packet. Uh, just shop in store at Beaumont's before November 12. You're in with a chance. T and C's apply. And I think the NFL gets underway this weekend. And the Super Bowl will be staged in February. Uh, don't say, okay, Americans' biggest football game. We know what it is. All right. 
<laughs> 18 past five. You're listening to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlaas. Always gets himself into trouble. Great to have your company. Thanks to Kia, the EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year and our friends at Toolmart, the complete tool centre. They've been serving WA for over 45 years. Locally owned and operated throughout uh, Perth and Western Australia. Ian Peterson and the team there. Okay, spring's coming and so is summer. It's to save time and water, Irrigear is here, who bring you the sports news headlines. And we've had Craig O'Donoghue on this program every now and then, talking mainly AFL footy, but he also covers the Perth Wildcats. And he's got a story coming out uh, tomorrow that the Perth Wildcats star Bryce Cotton has hit out at the Australian Olympic Committee's handling of his citizenship application, saying he feels disrespected by their changing stance on his career. A frustrated Cotton is in the middle of a messy legal fight with the federal government after they ruled he was in uh, Australia illegally in 2021. So more to play out in that. And as well as in this uh, sports headlines update, Ross Lyon, St Kilda, back in the finals. They take on GWS. And this is what Ross had to say on what he has learned from his year of exploration. Well, I've got a bit further up the hill than possibly maybe I thought or or everyone thought maybe. But, so, yeah, certainly has found out a lot about the group, built a lot of relationships, and they've come to hand as quick a group as I've ever had to the model of um, anything's possible. Um, and you've got to bring it to life daily with action. So they, they've been incredible with that. But um, And all kudos to my coaching panel. I really... It is done differently, a lot of collaboration and... Harvey, Hayes, Enright, just along with the development team, have been incredible. Um, I get frustrated that at times I'd love to be able to do more, but um, it's nice to be in my box also. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe things have changed for Ross Lyon. They're saying, Kilda, we do learn. Uh, every day we wake up and we learn something different. And he certainly seems a bit more all-rounded uh, this time around in his second stint at the Saints. He also went on to talk about the opposition. This is what he thinks about the Giants. They've won 10 out of the last 12. They're the best or equivalent record, last quarter team. Um, they're an up-tempo, take-ground surge team. They're, they're locking it in their front half very well. Um, and not unlike us, they've got some youth that are really stepping mm. up for them, but some top-flight talent, Whitfield, Cornelio... Playing top um, of the game. Cali, Hogan. You're talking... Uh, if you go back to... They're, they're pick ones and twos. So they've always been there. They've got a lot of finals experience, so... But they're being complemented by a lot of hard workers and people are stepping up in roles like Daniels, obviously, and Taylor. Will he play or not play? I'm not too sure. But then you've got Buckley and Himmelberg's been there a while. Mm. And, and Flynn's really stepped up like a Rowan Marshall. So um, I think they've got a lot of really good role players. They've got great clarity on how they need to play. And that, that brings in an energy and enthusiasm. And you hear them talk. We, they've got a lot of um, self-belief. So, but we understand them pretty well. So there you go. There's Ross Lyon uh, talking about the big game between the Saints and GWS. Luke Hodge, now a retired AFL footballer, played 305 games at the Hawks and spent a couple of seasons at the Brisbane Lions. In the end, uh, just an absolute champion. Four-time premiership player, three-time AFL premiership captain. It goes on a couple of Norm Smiths to go with it. Three All-Australians. Of course, now part, in some ways, of the uh, Network 7 and also SEN commentary team. And he had a look at the Brisbane Lions. And could this be, this year, maybe a premiership to go north to Queensland? This is what Luke Hodge had to say on Brisbane. 
the start for the Brisbane Lions to make sure that they get that crowd involved. It's it's huge. A home ground final, they cannot get jumped early because it'll shut it'll shut down forty thousand supporters there. Which which the Lions with Charlie Cameron, these guys get a real feed off that. So. Um, the, the record has said it's 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 there it's in their mind but the, the start's going to be crucial for them the Gabba is a fortress like they they have belief there they the home and away football that they played was so exciting but in in finals you need resilience and that's where they've probably been lacked a little bit they've lost a couple of close games they lost the the Bulldogs by a point they lost the GWS a few years ago by by three points um, the, what I'll be telling the Lions it's it's not going to be a one punch knockout like it will happen in a in a home and away game, Port Adelaide will continue to get up. It might be five or six times that you've got to knock them down. You've got to continue to beat them before you actually win the, win the game. It's about resilience. If things don't go your way, don't shy away from the contest. They've learned against Fremantle late in the season about a close victory. They looked, they did the same against Adelaide and St Kilda. So they've had a really good preparation in close games of doing the right thing. So I'd be reflecting on that, saying if, if it is a close game, if it is a an arm wrestle, we've got the resilience there. We've learned from it. This is what we need to focus on uh, to, to get over the line here. So that's it's a, it's a mind game thing with with the Lions with their home and away versus versus Gabba, but they've got so much positives that Lockie and Harris will have plenty to work with. Yeah, Luke Hodge knows all about it. And finally, in this update, all thanks to Irrigear, which offers expert advice and better irrigation solutions to save time and water. Irrigear is here. Collingwood, Melbourne tomorrow night in for the Magpies. McCreary, Moore, Murphy out is Billy Frampton, Finlay McRae. Jack Ginnivan and John Noble. They've all been omitted. And for Melbourne, in comes Michael Hibbard and Tom McDonald with the likes of Laurie, Turner and Melksham. The first two omitted, Melksham out injured. We'll take a break uh, in a moment and come back with a look at the WAFL. Matthew Jupp is the captain of the East Romantle Football Club. A lot's been happening down there at Shark Park. As I mentioned earlier today, Todd Shimon, the CEO of the last nine years for the East Randall Football Club, resigned today on the back end of, of course, an investigation into the total player payments and an audit of the books of the East Randall Football Club. They've come out and said that they're open to it. They believe they have erred and that the West Australian Football Commission will then determine the punishment come the end of the season. I'll ask Matthew how the players are handling all that ahead of a uh, must-win second semi-final against Peel Thunder on Saturday. And then I'll speak to Michael Roberts, the CEO of the West Australian Football Commission, about uh, the West Coast Eagles, who have been given and granted some more concessions ahead of the new season. That's coming up next. Welcome back to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to the Kia EV6 GT. World Performance Car of the Year and Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. And now for mate, fair dinkum internet without the fuss. Let's look at the WAFL and let's look at the weekend. East Romandle will make their first showing in this season's Waffle Finals after taking off the minor premiership. And they'll take on Peel Thunder on Saturday afternoon at 10 minutes past two at Fremantle Oval. And then we've got uh, the first semi-final being staged on Sunday between Subiaco and Claremont after Claremont advanced from the elimination final, beating uh, East Perth last Sunday. But let's now speak to the captain of the minor premiers, being East Fremantle, 
It's his second season as captain. We're talking about Matthew Jupp. Matthew, thanks for your time. No worries, Peter. Thanks for having me on. I know there's plenty happening at Sharkland at the moment, and I know you can't say too much. For those people that don't know, today, East Randall Football Club announced the resignation of Chief Executive Officer Todd Shimon, following almost nine years at the helm of WA's most successful waffle club. So a big story. Todd's been around the WAFL scene for many, many years. Of course, also spent some time at Claremont, and no doubt he's contributed to the club in his nine years. Yeah, yeah. Todd, Todd's been um, huge for the club in terms of um, heading our our redevelopment push, which is in its final stages. So, yeah, sad day for um, for the footy club, um, losing one of our um, one of our one of our best. But um, these things happen in footy, and and uh, we're just going to have to move on. Can I ask you, before we get into the game, because people would be silly if I didn't ask this question, regarding the current East Fremantle Footy Club confirming it's undergoing an audit of its total player payments for last season being 2022. How's that impacting on you and your team of uh, players as they prepare for a second semi-final on Saturday? Yeah, well, Peter, we found out about the news on Saturday, like most others. Obviously, the, the club was aware. Um, a few at the club were aware and were dealing with the waffle um, in the back-and-forth audit process throughout the year. So this is something that the club's been dealing with for a number of weeks. But um, playing group and coaching panels and whatnot, we, we only found out about it on Saturday when the news was, was released, which is um, untimely in a sense, um, obviously, the Waffle and the club had agreed to, to hold out the findings until after the season, but somebody um, somebody released those in the, in the interim. So, look, it's happened. Um, we had to deal with it. We've got to deal with it. We, we met as a playing group and as a, as a football club um, earlier in the week. And, and look, in, in terms of from a player's perspective and, and from a, a coaching perspective, it's really out of our control. It's an administration thing. It's something that the club's dealing with. Um, We've acknowledged it. Obviously, um, you're upset about it. It's not something you want to go through. But in terms of um, having any control over the process, we just simply don't. So what, I'm, what I will say is um, I'm extremely pleased with the way my playing group um, have handled the news. Uh, we addressed it, like I said, and, and we're ready to move on from it pretty quickly. You know, It's going to happen in the background. People are going to talk about it. But we've focused on the job at hand. Uh, we've got a really strong peel attack to take on this Saturday. And... Um, we've been sitting there biding our time um, over the weekend, waiting to see who we play. And, and look, we're getting closer and closer to, to getting our chance to take on Peel in our um, in our first semi-final. So, so we're ready to roll. And Matthew, just finally before we move on, uh, the thing that concerns me a bit regarding this: uh, if all of a sudden Eastern Mantle is found guilty in relation to maybe abusing the total player payments for the 2022 season and the review is conducted and the findings come out at the end of the year. And from your point of view, let's hope East Romano are the premiers. How do you think that'll sit? Look, the, the, the investigations for the 2022 season, in terms of the minutiae and the details of what actually undertook, I think that that needs to play out and, and we'll find out about that in due course. But it has no bearing on this season. Um, we don't think it has any, any effect at all. Okay, well answered, and thanks for taking uh, the opportunity to answer those questions in your position as captain of the club. What about Peel Thunder? It's going to be a big challenge for you on Saturday. Yeah, it is. 
they're a they're a really well balanced team. They've got you know A graders all across the park. You look at um, someone like Joel Hamling down at fullback. He's a, a really really strong contributor at this level. Uh, Will Brody in the middle. Their Peel contingent, you know, Ben Hancock, their captain, Blair Bell, Jack Sears, a young fellow who kicked a few goals from on the weekend. They're a, they're a good team. Um, they present a, a different challenge to all the other competitors in the competition. It's, it's one of those years where, you, you know, all the teams we've played against have all got um, a different strength. It's really, it's a really interesting season. It's been a lot of fun to be a part of. So... Um, they're going to be they're going to be a tough side, strong in the contest, and um, we're going to have to do a lot to match them and, and hopefully get on top of them. Let's look at East Fremantle. Uh, you claim top spot for the first time since your premiership year of 1998. Maybe that's an omen. I know John O'Marsh was a late withdrawal in your final home and away game. Will he be right for the match on Saturday? Yeah, John was a, was a late withdrawal a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's trained fully since then, and yeah, he'll put his hand up for selection. I dare say he'll be there on um, on Saturday. Any other concerns uh, from players on the track, or will you go with almost a full th- strength side? Yeah, we're actually really healthy um, this time of the year, um, which is which is good. We sort of went into last year's final campaign um, on the back of a, a pretty tumultuous year with with injury and um, obviously player availability. We lost a lot of players through. Um, through drafts and whatnot. So this year, this year around, it's um, the script's almost flipped. Um, we've got a, a, a nearing on a full strength side. Um, selection's extremely difficult. I, I don't envy the coaches. There's going to be some unlucky boys who are going to miss out, and that's just um, that's just the nature of a good team with good depth at the uh, the right time of the year. So uh, we'll we'll be, we'll be fit and healthy and and at, and at full strength. A big responsibility for Hugh Dixon, of course, in the last game against Subiac, and in some ways negated the influence of Zach Clark. How important will the big man be during this finals campaign? Yeah, he's a class player at this level. Um, and look, he and, and Ruben Maguire have sort of been sharing our rough duties for most of the year. And look, they're a great tandem. Um, it, it allows both of them the opportunity to go forward and and they they present different different strengths. You know, Ruben's a really good run and jumper at the ball, and and Hughes just extremely agile, crafty. Um, they both play as almost an extra midfielder. So they've got really really strong AFL style ruckmen um, in Smith and Reedy. So um, the boys are going to have their work cut out for them. But um, I think that you know the strengths they possess pose a challenge to those two guys as well. So uh, that'll be a great battle. Those those four. You played a great game against Subiaco. Your trademark defensive performance uh, when you really suppressed one of the clear spearheads in the competition in Ben Sokol. Who would expect to line up with uh, against Peel Thunder this Saturday? Yeah, they've got um, they've got a pretty good forward line. Young Ben Milton um, for, for Peel has been playing really well lately, kicking a few goals. Um, it's funny, against Peel, I've had a few different opponents over the last few years. You know, I've played on um, Josh Tracy, Jaya Miss has spent a bit of time, um, Sebit Kuek, who I played on in Jelton earlier in the year, unfortunately did his ACL in that game and obviously wishing him a speedy recovery. Um, Josh Corbett's been playing um, for Peel for majority of the year, so he's qualified and, and he'll be out there. And like I dare say, I'll get um, Corbett, Middleton, um, Sears, one of the one of the resting ruckmen, sort of when they spend some time forward. So probably spend a bit of time on all those guys. Matthew Jupp, captain of East Fremantle. Thanks for joining us. Good luck for the big one on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time, Pete. Appreciate it. He spoke very well, didn't he? Matthew Jupp, the captain of the East Fremantle Football Club, ahead of a big weekend.
of WAFL action, the first and second semi-finals, and the Sharks will be looking for the quick passage through to the WAFL grand final that will be staged here at Optus Stadium. Let's stay with the WAFL. Uh, about to introduce the CEO of the commission in Michael Roberts, because today the West Australian Commission made a series of amendments to the West Coast Eagles waffle player recruitment and payment system that take effect from next season. To find out more about it, Michael joins us on the program. Thanks for your time, Michael. Thanks, Pete. Firstly, the reason for these changes is because of the West Coast Eagles waffle team's performance in the last couple of seasons? Yeah, look, that, that plays a major part um, in it. Um, I think everyone who follows waffle will know that um, it wasn't a good look for the competition when you've got one club that is um, be- getting beaten regularly by significant margins. Um, so the, the rules and, and the, the payment system that we had in place for, for West Coast Eagles this season um, just gone um, didn't actually allow them to cover any injuries. I mean, they had injuries at the AFL list, but they also had some injuries at, in, uh, on their waffle list as well. So we believe that the, um, the changes that we've made will allow West Coast to be a lot more competitive um, and, and consistent, so not necessarily as reliant on you know, strong AFL um, list. And uh, and the, the good thing about it is now we, we get give them this information now um, so they have a whole sort of off-season to prepare and, and build a list that, uh, as I said, is hopefully competitive in the competition next year. Before we go through three major points of uh, the so-called concessions that will be given to West Coast for next year, they were given concessions for this year as well, weren't they? So now it's concessions in two consecutive seasons? Well, I guess it's not necessarily concessions. It's altering the um, the rules under which they uh, are able to operate. Um, and the, the challenge with West Coast is that there's no sort of similar structure. So, you know, a lot of people say, why don't we just um, copy what happens at Peel um, and the Fremantle alignment? But Peel has to field a, a reserve, a waffle reserves team as well, whereas West Coast don't have that. Um, so you, you can't actually model... Um, West Coast arrangement on anything else. So, like every, you know, like every other club, and um, we we look at the rules that uh, apply across the league um, to try and make sure that we're enabling every club to be competitive. So, um, it is, uh, you know, it is an ongoing um, piece of work, just making sure that we sort of tweak a few things to to provide that uh, consistency and, and level of opportunity as well. There's no question; it's a combative or combative battleground when it comes to the WAFL. How have some of the established clubs received this? Um, yeah, so we started talking to the clubs about this uh, about three weeks ago and um, we, we've spoken with the, the CEOs and the presidents and um, you know, not not every club wants um, West Coast to, to receive these sorts of um, allowances. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we, we have to protect the integrity of the competition and, and you know, if a team is in our competition, if, if they are allowed to compete in the waffle, then they should be allowed um, to, to be successful and they should be allowed to have the, the rules and, and regulations that allow them to recruit and put a competitive team out on the park. And uh, that's what the Commission believe we've done with West Coast Eagles this year. So the total player payments uh, are now 60% of the base WAFL TPP, which stands at 245000 The player points has been now set at 70, up from 65. And the removal of the three-year barrier, can you explain that a bit more in detail? 
So we previously had a rule that West Coast Eagles weren't allowed to talk to players um, that they had been on their list. So if you've been on a list, uh, on West Coast Eagles list um, and for up to three years and then uh, was delisted, West Coast Eagles weren't able to actually talk to that player. So we've removed that. The player, regardless of how long they've been on West Coast list, list will still have a team of origin if they're in WA and uh, if West Coast end up recruiting that player, then there is a transfer fee. But it just enables West Coast to actually have conversations with uh, their own players, I guess, um, to see if they want to come and stay at the club and, and play for their waffle team. Where before they could go back to their waffle club, whether it be a waffle reserves team, now they can stay at West Coast. Yeah, and uh, the only uh, difference would be a transfer fee. Um, or, or they'd, sorry, they would still have to pay a transfer fee to that club of origin. So, you know, if a, if a Greg Clark or someone was um, was delisted and, and um, wanted to stay at West Coast, then um, obviously West Coast would have to pay Subiaco a transfer fee. We know West Coast were in many ways uncompetitive, but so were Perth. Perth weren't exactly uh, one of the great clubs and haven't been one of the great clubs in the WAFL competition for a long, long time. Does Perth, a strong Perth, deliver more to the waffle competition maybe than a strong West Coast Eagles? How do you see that? Yeah, look, it's, we, our aim is that every club is competitive and every club has those opportunities. And you know, we've, we've provided Perth with concessions and, and different allowances. So Perth have more salary cap than, than any other team and, and they've got more points than any other team as well. Um, the challenge that we've found with Perth is they haven't been able to use those concessions that we've provided them. Um, fully, so you, you can't get a, a good basis of um, whether these concessions are actually having an impact until they're used fully. So that, that's the challenge we have. But there, there's no doubt that you know we we need we need the successful Perth. Um, they haven't they've you know, once finals in in last uh, 20 30 years. So we need uh, we need to help them. Um, we, we're trying to have ongoing conversations, or we are having ongoing conversations with Perth. Um, you know, we, we're always talking about the, the Perth zone, especially uh, out in um, regional WA, and uh, but that's not that's a longer term fix. So we have to try and um, yeah, we have to work with with Perth to, to help them use the allowances that and concessions that we're actually providing them, so we can see whether they're they're actually worthwhile or not. Um, probably worth noting that some of the, the clubs who have like an East Perth over the last few years, we've worked with them on providing them with extra concessions and, um, you know, it's got them to a, a really good position where they made the finals this year and, and probably should have gone a bit further. But um, so these concessions work. Um, unfortunately, we just haven't been able to nail it yet with mm. Perth. Finally, a bit of news out of the WAFL W competition regarding 2025 where it looks like it's been approved that the players in that competition will be reimbursed for their services. Yeah, look, this is this is a, a great uh, a great announcement that, that we can make. It, um, that uh, in 2025, the Waffle W players league players will be paid. Um, we we probably were, were pushed on this decision by one club, West Perth in particular, who um, really wanted to, to implement this. Um, this this year to start recognising their players and, and um, well done to, to West Perth for driving this. And I think from a competition point of view and the other clubs involved, um, we need to make sure that we've got a, a strategy in place to make this sustainable so that it isn't just a, you know one or, or two year thing that we can actually start to build on it. And 
Um, you know, we're going through a current strategy piece around making the whole waffle competition sustainable. So uh, this is one element where we just need to do a bit of work on making sure we've got the um, the right product um, in women's football that is exciting to watch, starting to generate some crowds, um, some commercial uh, interest as well. And um, yeah, in 2025 our players will be uh, remunerated. So it's a good, uh, a, a great piece of work, a good news story. We've just got to uh, do a bit of work with the clubs collectively um, to put this into place and, and map out what it's going to look like. Yeah, no, great, uh, great news. And certainly will drive a lot more uh, players to take part in the WAFLW competition. Thanks for your time, Michael Roberts. Always uh, makes your time available for Sports Day WA. It's much appreciated. Thanks, Peter. Michael Roberts, uh, the CEO of the West Australian Footy Commission. That's about all we have time for. It's all thanks to score a mobile deal as good as a Sam Kerr worldie with Mate. Of course, Mate bring you that uh, WAFL rap. Mate, fair dinkum internet without the fuss. Thanks uh, to Jimmy. Thanks to Bryant. That's been the program. Of course, tomorrow, an early sports day WA, two to three before the run home with Hayes and Mardo due to our AFL finals commitments uh, with the first qualifying final between Collingwood and Melbourne. Our coverage gets underway at 5 o'clock Western Standard Time. Have a good night. See you tomorrow from 2.